Welcome to the Rise Up Live Free podcast, where we're going to be giving you the exact blueprint to reach financial freedom in 10 years or less, regardless of your age, your income, or your experience. You see, we believe that 97% of traditional financial advice is dangerous, misleading, or outright wrong. And we're here to empower you on how you can use money and cash flow as a tool to create, build, and live a life you love now rather than having to wait until you're 65. If you're ready to take immediate action, join us over at cashflowtactics.com forward slash podcast. Welcome back, Rise Up Live Free listeners. It has been a while, Bradley, since it's been you and me on the mic. We have been off the mic for a while. We repurposed some, some of our event stuff because we had our head down doing that, but it is it's good to be back. And then, yeah, we were just talking about it. So if you follow Cash Tactics community, uh, we just got done. It's already been three weeks, but we got done with a phenomenal live event, uh, the Cashflow Heaven Tour event. And then, yes, I am Brad's business partner, yes, uh, I'm, you know, you're one of my best friends. I'm assuming it's vice versa. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's always nervous to say out loud, but yes, Jimmy, I'll validate yeah. you. It is vice versa. Thank you. So, you know, I've seen you do a lot of good stuff, but your first two hours of Cashflow Heaven tour, I believe, was your finest work ever. I thank you very much. Those are kind words, Jimmy. And so, we are going to give you guys kind of a recap of that. Kind of, we can't give you the whole thing because you know you. If you have FOMO about missing that event, you should have FOMO because it was phenomenal. But some major things weren't necessarily discovered, but were explained at the Cashflow Heaven Tour. And the, that is the title of this podcast, How Not to Make the Fatal 2022 Mistake. Yes. And should we tell them right now what that fatal mistake is or well, should we kind let's of- do a, Let's do a quick teaser exercise. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in with the exercise that we did with everybody in the room. So while you're listening to the podcast, don't crash to do this. Just make a mental note if you're driving or if you can't sit and write this down, it would be good. But think about or write down the best decision you made in the last 12 months. So take a minute and think about that. The best decision that you made in the last 12 months. And then also, I knew you were afraid I was going to ask this one. This is one we don't want to be asked. What was the worst decision you made during the last 12 months. Okay. Cause Jimmy, what we're going to talk about is decision-making. Okay. Yes. Don't make the fatal decision. So we're going to talk about decision. So best decision, worst decision. Think about that while we talk about some of the stuff and we'll circle back to that. Okay. And now we're talking personal decision, business decision. Doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously in the context of what we do, usually it's investment related. So it can be that, but it can be business. It can be relationship. It can be anywhere, but yeah, best decision, worst decision in any area. Cause I think it should apply. You know, truth is truth is truth. Or it should apply everywhere. Okay. I'm trying to think of what mine was. Ooh, I didn't think I, I'll have to think about mine while we're going. Cause we should share too, but uh, yes. why everybody's thinking, do you want to keep going? Yep. Let's keep going and let them think through it. And then okay. we'll, we'll do the reveal of, of the takeaway in just a second. And if you're watching live on Facebook, go ahead and throw it in the chat. By the way, the standing offer always exists. If you make me laugh through one of your comments, you get a free t-shirt. We'll send you a t-shirt. <laughs> Love it. Cool. So while you're thinking about that, Jimmy, I'm going to share this quote as well that I did from the presentation. Uh, this is from David Hume. This is a quote that simultaneously I love, but I also, it's one that I hate the most because it's not what I identify as, as me initially, but as I really think about it, it's, there's probably no truer statement even for me. 
David Hume said, reason is and ought to be the slave of the passions. So I'll say that again. Reason ought to be the slave of the passions and can never pretend to any other office than to serve and obey them. So reason serves our passions. And me, who if you pulled my chest open, you would not see a beating heart. You would see a spreadsheet has a tough time with that quote sometimes, right? Because I think about passion like a 12-year-old tween melting down, right? Emotion. Passions are for the mentally weak. Yeah, that's the way I think. It's like, no, there isn't any. I just just run the numbers and we dispassionately make it. But what I think that that quote is saying, and the only, I like to put context to heavy, heavy quantitative stuff like we're going to cover. The, the reason why that's an important quote though, and this is what we talk about in the, the rise of live free idea here is if we're not passionate about what we're going to get, then we're going to be disinterested and we're not going to be willing to do the work to get there. Right? So I have to first be passionate about the outcome. Then I can use my reason and intellect to serve me to get that outcome. And Jimmy, you've seen this as soon as I'm not interested, like we're talking, I get excited about marketing, but you bring in TikTok, I check out, I'm done. Like, I don't even care and you can't get me engaged. I will not bring any of my intellectual prowess to the conversation if I'm not interested, right? One of of my favorite things about you is that when you're in, you're in, but when you're out, you're really out. And when it's because I look at you as a hardworking, industrious person, but like watching you maneuver when you're trying to be lazy is very amusing to me. (laughs) And you have done a very good job of pinning me down at times. Yeah. Too much to my chagrin. So yes, like I have to be emotionally invested in what I'm doing to want to bring my intellect to the table. So we share that for that reason that Jimmy is 2022 going to be a walk in the park. Has any year been a walk in the park? No. And it shouldn't be right. So if you're not emotionally invested in what we're doing, then let's not even try, I guess would be that kind of the, the point of that. But those that are emotionally invested in becoming financially free, taking control of their finances, making progress and not losing ground and becoming poor during this time, this greatest wealth transfer that we're going to be seeing, then great, this is for you. But I wanted to be clear about that up front, that like you better be emotionally invested in this outcome or else there's really not much we can tell you, I guess. Well, do you want to know, you know, that statement you know, it reminds me of? What? Uh, it's from Expert Secrets where Brunson says people buy off emotion, they use logic to justify the purchase. That's a great way to say it, right? So we're going to teach you the logic justification, but you already need to be emotionally bought into core four, four pillars, wealth pyramid, cash flow exceeding expenses, all the stuff that we've been talking about. You've got to be already emotionally bought in. And now we're going to help you mentally justify how to move forward in an environment as uncertain and changing as 2022 is. And like, and what, if you're new to the podcast and you're new to cash flow tactics, what Brad just rattled off basically just means If you're passionate about becoming financially free in 10 years or less and getting your money off the casino of Wall Street and putting it on the main street to achieve that end, that's that's what we're going to discuss today. Cool. Okay. So get your answers ready to the best decision, worst decision um, while I tell this story. Okay. So, oh, I don't even remember the year. Was this 2019, 2018? Seahawks versus Patriots Super Bowl, right? Patriots are on the one yard line. They're down four points, 26 seconds left. Like could not be a better setup to end a Super Bowl, right? And all of America is so happy because the Patriots are going to lose. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. And the C and I'm super happy because I grew up in the eighties as a Seahawks fan. So I'm on cloud nine about this whole thing. Everything is amazing. They've got Marshawn Lynch, the best back in the league that year, again, on the one yard line, 26 seconds, it seems like everything's going to come true. And if you remember, Jimmy, what, what happened? I can't even say the word. So you're going to need to say what happened. What's their quarterback. He's a den. He's a Bronco now. Russ, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson throws i mean it, it was just a uh, a slant pattern it's yep. been done millions and millions of times the the um, but you know what i guarantee it was an option play for the receiver too where they line up and if you fake right and the defender goes right then you go to the corner of the end zone if they fake if you go they go the other way you go to the middle of the end zone and so they ran a, a simple slant pattern what like a two-yard pass yep and it got picked off. He did not see the, the quarterback did not see the safety. Yep. Picked off game over. They lose the Super Bowl. Everything ends in just that fast. Right. And yep. the headlines are Washington post worst play call in Super Bowl history. So no one held back on Pete Carroll. Right. Right. Which is terrible. Super Bowl mistake is what the New Yorker came out. Right. Throwing it all away. Right. So everybody yells and just how terrible of a call that was now the question is was it a good call or was it a bad call now and then think about this in terms of again the questions we asked you of your best decision and worst decision okay so if we look at the stats right let's get emotion out of it for a second that we just lost the super bowl here's the stats if we really go back and look at it that year 66 passes were attempted on the opponent's one yard line. Zero were intercepted. And Pete Carroll knows this, or at least intuitively knows these types of stats, right? Zero, not a single one. I guarantee you the Seahawks analytics team, let him know that. Know that, right? In the previous 15 seasons, only 2% is an interception thrown when a pass is attempted on the one yard line. Okay. And then also, if you're too worried about why didn't they just give the ball to Marshawn? Well, remember, it was only second down. They had two more downs to give it to the best back in the league and try to punch it over the goal line. And then they were trying to use the advantage of surprise here because what did everybody expect? We'll give Marshawn the ball and make, you know, all three times and try to get it over. So from a stats perspective, I don't think it was that terrible of a call. And this is the way Pete Carroll said it in the interview. He said it was the worst result of a call ever. The call would have been a great one if we catch it. It would have just, it would have been just fine and nobody would have thought twice about it. Well, I mean, how often does somebody make an investing decision when they have a 98% success rate? And that's the exact point of what we want to talk about. So what we want to talk about is this error, the fatal error we're seeing people make in 2022 is not understanding that there are two things that determine the outcome of our lives and our investments. One of them is we make bad decisions, but the second one is luck, right? There is always an element of the, the, no matter how much work and effort and time we put into making a good decision, there's going to be some luck involved with how it turns out. And so what we want to define for you inside of what we believe, Pete Carroll is a perfect example because the outcome was unfortunate. We look at it and say the play call was bad. But if we look at the decision-making element of it, it actually was a brilliant play call. And his, de- we- his decision-making process was sound. 
was sound. They yes. were just bad luck that came in. Can into we it. let's can we define luck and risk? You, please do. That's actually okay. an awesome add to this. So this is so simple. This is straight from um, how I lost a million dollars uh, in the in the stock market. Great book, but phenomenal technical definitions. And risk is simply the possibility of a loss. So luck is simply the possibility or the probability of a gain of gain. So whether you like it or not, and I, you know, I like to be like, I'm a Western rationalist, Bradley. Everything I've had has been earned. Luck, I know. And then all the risk that I've never happened to me is just because I'm so smart that I never, bad things never have, losses never occurred to me. Like that's egocentric, not true. It just is yep. what it, it we is. We have is. to recognize that both of those things go together, which means it, it's, it's, it's much more of a process than we think right? Because we have to deal with the fact we're going to get bad luck, but we still have to be able to move forward. And so this concept, this came from a book called Thinking in Bets. I really enjoyed the first three or four chapters. Highly recommend it for that. If you want to finish the book, awesome. But Jimmy, I think we got through three or four chapters. And we I got through I, the first two. Yeah. yeah and then I got, haven't been we, intrigued. We got the point of the book, but Thinking yeah. in Bets by Annie Duke, she defines this concept of resulting is the tendency to equate the quality of a decision with the quality of its outcome. And then she spends the whole book explaining why that's, that's not productive to do that. So we cannot equate the quality of a decision with the quality of the outcome. And the reason why is luck will play into that gap between the decision and the outcome. And we've gotta be good about making the right decision and then independent of the outcome. Can I, can I bring up, this is reminding me, like the way I, can I tell you the way I learned this? It wasn't an investing. I do want to hear this. It was actually, it was, so can I tell an army story? Jimmy, we love your army stories. So like all the time I'd be a dumb, young, irresponsible Lieutenant and like not make the right decision. Right. Uh Oh, you're still on. Okay. I'd not make the right decision. And then someone would call me on it. Generally my commander, like, did you think of this? Do you think of this? And the, of course the answer was no. And my retort was look, nothing bad happened. And, you know, they didn't spell it out for me. They said, hey, do it this way or you're done. And so then I would march off with a yes, sir. But if they would just explain to me, like, your decision-making process was god-awful and that you're young, dumb, and immature, and that luck is why you didn't what have an adverse you? result. Yes, was luck. And, like, now that I'm 42 and can understand that, but, I, I mean, I have tons of real-life knowledge of this. Yes. And I would say um, like another Hollywood example of this, if you've seen the new Star Trek movies, they're not as geeky as you think. They're actually pretty good movies, action flicks. But Captain Kirk is a gunslinger, take all the risks type. And it always seems to work out for him. And in one of them, he loses the command of the Starship Enterprise because, and that was his response. It's like, but nobody died. It, it doesn't matter that you got lucky, you took too much risk and we have to take you back. And then he goes back to the academy, has to learn all this stuff. But it was the exact yeah. same point. His argument was always, I've never lost a crew member. It's like, well, that doesn't matter. At some point your luck will run out and you will. And we, you, can't, you can't be a captain if you're that way. And I think- Well, and, in each mission, I should have been improving my decision-making process. Yes. But I was too dumb and young to understand that. Cool. So the- so now everybody went through their best decision, their worst decision. Now stop for a second and think about it. Did you actually tell me your best decision and worst decision 
or did you tell me the best outcome you had and the worst outcome that you had, right? And 99% of the time, if you've not already heard us or read this book, everyone says their, their Pete Carroll, right? Their worst outcome. I threw an interception on the one yard line or they'll say Jimmy's young Lieutenant response of we won anyway, right? <laughs> And they don't really look at it and say, man, I really went through this process and made this decision and this, and that was my best decision because I relied on X, Y, Z, right? But inside of CFT, right? And Jimmy, I actually would say one of our best decisions business-wise was one of the marketing moves we made to get a, a systemized process. Like we had somebody that got us up and running and doing things we'd never thought about, but the pivot we needed to make was a much more systematized professional level process to manage that. Yep. But, but if we measured it off decisions, did that yield us much for the first six months? No. Almost nothing, right? And so if we looked at results, we'd be like, man, that was a waste of a lot of money. But now we're seeing, oh, that was the best decision because we sat down, we analyzed, we figured out what we needed to do and we moved forward. And, but we didn't get lucky like we expected for six months. And it's this slow now realization of it where we were tempted to be said that was one of our worst decisions because we lost $60,000 waiting for this thing to happen. Right. And then, that might be an example for us. And so for everybody listening, here's why this is important. As a passive investor, all you can do is define and refine your decision-making process. You can't yell at your property manager to make anything better. This is the downside of being a passive investor is there's nothing yeah. you can really do other than define your redefine and redefine your decision making criteria that's why this is so critical and and so i'm glad you already started into that because that is where i want to go next where with a passive investor right the reason why we've set up the action steps we give people inside of cash flow tactics is we wanted to create a game that as long as we have a good decision making criteria we have no option but to win even if we experience bad luck right so there are lots of people that will tell you in investing, sure, there's a luck element to it. But if we're in the stock market, if luck goes our way, we make money. If luck doesn't go our way, we lose money. It's very binary, right? It's win-lose. I don't like win-lose. That's not fun for me. And so the game we set up is win or win big, okay? And if we're unlucky, we just win. If we're lucky, we win big. And that was, that's where if we understand decision-making and we're really good at decision-making, we can set up win or win big games. And that's the idea in CFT where we want to wake up one day and have our wealth surprise us. And we want to get wealthy despite our own best efforts. Like no matter what we do, we still end up getting wealthy. And that's the win, bit, win or win big. And the example we used on this, we had, I got a text message from a client that wanted to talk. And he knew it was going to be an uncomfortable conversation. So he sent me a text message and gratefully to sort of prepare me for the hellfire and damnation I was about to receive upon that call. And he said this, he said, just heads up, part of what I want to chat through is how poorly our properties have done over the last two and a half years. And understand for your perspective, do we have bad properties or what could be going wrong? So just based on that sentence and what we shared for the first 20 minutes of this podcast, can you see that he's already resulting? He's saying, I'm, I, I'm getting a bad outcome. Thus, I made a bad decision. And that's what he wanted to talk through. Right. Okay? 
And I won't share the numbers. We shared this at the event in the detail. I'll just kind of walk through it. But basically, I then stopped. We expanded the conversation. We helped him redefine what winning was. And we went through this. And I showed him that even though, yes, he had to put in $20,000 of his own money, bad luck, he still had a $95,000 investment increase over the last two and a half years. That resulted in a 77% increase in capital and a 30% IRR on his money. Jimmy, is he winning? Uh, he's winning in a huge way and he's unable to see it. And that's the fatal error is to be unable to see when we're winning and we quit and resulting like, look, having an expectation of what winning looks like and then not having that met is, is the error that we see people making, especially in this market. And it manifests in some ways, right? Having a property that we expect this much cash flow, but we actually won over here or not getting in. And that's as we went through it. Well, let's say, let's back up in that. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had had cash. So the rents he had collected for, had gone to, for the most part, had gone all to maintenance and make readies when a tenant moves out. Yep. But in the meantime, his houses had appreciated how many, uh, a couple hundred grand, right? $127,000 increase now. And this isn't Zillow pricing. This yeah. is multiples of rent pricing. So what the market actually pays for these properties, it had gone up, uh, excuse me, $116,000, $118,000. In like 24 months. And it's like, months. where else? And how, over how many properties? Five, just five properties. Yeah. So where else could you make? And then, so five properties, he was probably a hundred into it, right? He was, he, yeah, he was a hundred between down payment. He was 103,000 into it, had $15,000 of closing costs and it set nine grand aside as reserve. So he was all in 127,000. Yeah. And part of that, part of what went to the reserves was the, the rent he collected for those two years. But the fact that you make a hundred percent return in 24 months and think you're losing, like something's wrong. It, and that's the problem, right? Because he, he at least got moving and he stopped 401ks and he opened a vault and he had reserves. He was prepared for this. Those were the wins. But his biggest actual mistake, right? He thought it was, I bought the wrong properties and now I'm paying for it. But his biggest mistake ended up being that he didn't buy 10. Right. Because he had $125,000, enough to buy five more properties sitting on the sideline because he thought he had made a bad decision where he had just got unlucky. He had a couple bad tenants, COVID happened, right? Some things outside, bad luck happened and it kept him out of the game. He should have bought five more properties and had a $200,000 increase instead of just the 100,000 that he had. Well, and then this is what I'm gonna like, here's what I see when people first get into this game. Until they get five houses, right about that five house mark, their cash flow is like Gollum. It's like Lord of the Rings. Like the cash flow is like my, my precious. precious. And like- $200 hits your account and you're like, uh, even though you're making 20 grand a month um, in, your per, in your profession, people like, I get it. I get how that cash flow feels. I understand how captivating it is. But if you, the people who have the least amount of success in investing in passive real estate are people who think they can buy five houses and quit their job or that they can live off that money, off yep. the cash flow. 
So here's the, here's the, the more tactical takeaway of resulting, right? What we're seeing is people being like, oh, I can't get my 10% cash on cash, or I bought a property and I didn't net cash flow positive year one. So I made a mistake or I'm not going to get in the game. That's not the mistake. That's the resulting error. That's not the decision-making process that leads to getting wealthy 10 years from now. So the update that you guys need to listen to this podcast is what is the true purpose of cash flow? Jimmy, why are we named cash flow tactics if we're saying appreciation was the play for last year? Like, why do we still harp? What is the purpose of cash flow? And I've it's got some a permission points, but I want to hear you riff. There's a permission just a permission slip for slip. what? To go invest. Like, you don't, my line is I don't want to be feeding, like, for example, I bought a house this year that gets uh, 1200 bucks uh, a month for rent. And it's, it's worth 200 and I bought it for 160, right? Yep. And it's not going to cash flow, but I could not turn down that. What is it? That 40 grand worth of equity. Mm -hmm. And it's just too good of an asset. Now it doesn't cash flow 200 bucks a month, but nothing comes out of my pocket to support that investment. So you have time on your side, right? Yes. Let me, now, let me if you have a, yeah, if you have a rental portfolio that's taking your active income and that you're having to feed every month, then we think, hey, you, I think you'll win in the end, but you if, might be taking a little too much risk. But we won't, we can't, in, it, it'll be binary. You'll either win or you might lose, right? So we yeah. can't say that you set up to win or win big, right? Yeah. Um, so here's, a, here's another way to look at it. I think that'll help everybody understand. We harp on leverage as the key to beating inflation right now. If we don't have leverage, it will be very difficult, no matter what asset class we're in, to beat the inflation that we're facing right now. But is real estate the only place we can deploy leverage? No. No, we could borrow against our stock portfolio. Yeah. But why wouldn't we do that? Because of volatility. Because the stock portfolio can't pay off the loan in a guaranteed, safe, secure fashion, yeah. right? It's, a, it's binary. We, in that case, we either win big or we lose even bigger. Right. And that's not a game that we want to set up. So the lever, the, the cash flow is our permission slip to access the four pillars, particularly leverage in a way that we can work ourselves through bad luck and still win or win big. Okay. Okay. It still is the North Star of our game plan. Our ultimate exit at some point is going to be that cash flow. Okay. And it also puts blinders on to the shiny object. Oh, I could buy an Airbnb that's going to double in price, even though I have to feed it money. Like that's not a viable long-term. There's, there's way too much luck and volatility involved in that. Okay. And, and like I said, it does become our, our exit. Okay. But like you said, Jimmy, if it becomes your, your golem with that $200 a month, you're going to make the mistake of not getting into the game and not yeah. understanding where we're going to be winning. Right. Okay. And then, you know, Brad and I, we friendly disagree, but like, the fact that we analyze these assets on their year one performance is very short-sighted. Completely. And that's, that is the concession that I've got that we're working to expand investors' vision to say we still need a decision-making criteria because I only have so much capital to put into any number of investments. So I still use it to analyze investment A versus investment B, right? Yep. But then as our, if we're, and this was the big revelation for the group, that too many people use a pro forma like a glass. What do you call that? A uh, um, a crystal glass. 
a crystal, a crystal ball. ball. Yeah. Right. That's this, it, the pro forma said $387 a month. Thus, if I don't get $387 a month, I'm losing. Right. That's not what pro forma or even worse. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to buy. I'm not going to take on the leverage. Right. But it, it only tells us where we are in the decision-making process and then what we need to adjust if we're not getting exactly what we want. But then we take the pro forma and we crinkle it up and we throw it in the trash and we never, ever, 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 ever look at it ever again. Because if we measure against that, we're going to be in the gap. That was an ideal. That was a, that was a, do I move or not move or better stated, what adjustments do I need to make so that I can still move forward? But then we throw it in the trash and we only measure, like we said, against our next best alternative. And that was part of the conversation with this client was, okay, neat. Had you not done real estate, what would you have got? Huh? You would have put money into a 401k and then you'd be waking up with 20% less than you had when you started. So a hundred K increase with 20 K out of pocket is looking a lot better than being down 20% in our, in our stock portfolio, waiting for things to come back. And he started to understand like, oh, I was measuring against the wrong. I was measuring that I was winning only against my pro forma. And that's a bad, that's a bad place to be. Well, you, so yeah, what you're saying is you got to measure against your present options. Yep. Not, and that's not the pro forma. And that's not even other real estate because you couldn't have bought all the properties and you couldn't have known which property was going to work. Like, did it pass our investing criteria? Yes or no. And that's what we train on. We're not going to cover that here, but that's what we train on inside of Cashflow Tactics. What investment criteria do I need in place to ensure I've set up a game that I win or win big, regardless of luck? right? If it passed, we move forward and then we stop measuring against it because in a given year, could we lose money? Absolutely. But we'll never lose the game, right? And so that was the idea. The pro forma is the codification of our decision. Like our, our does it pass our decision, our investing criteria, but it's not a measurement tool. And that's a big mistake. Well, and then here's the other thing that's going on. Like people who bought 10 houses with me over the last four years, some of them have made a half a million dollar gain, right? Yep. They got 10 houses. They've all appreciated 50 grand. Were they smart, Brad? Uh, man, it feels like a trick question. I was going to say they would have, no, they weren't because they wouldn't, weren't going to know. Like they just, they got the 500,000 regardless of how smart they actually are. Well, they, they either, they chose a system and a decision-making criteria where they either win or they win big. Yeah. And these guys, have won big. Yes. Be, but it had nothing to do with how smart they were. It had to do with their investing criteria. They just it, did it anyway. It might have had something to do with how smart you are and them listening to you. But that's probably true. Yeah. That makes but, me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's an example of what you said. And so let's say the next five years don't come with massive appreciation. There'll always be another lever to pull of the four pillars. Over the next five years, they'll pay their mortgage down. Or yeah. what we expect to happen is rents are now going to massively adjust with the inflation. And then the cash flow comes in because they already have the asset and yeah. they've already gone through that stage, right? Or we heard stories of, of Wes in our group who harvested a couple hundred thousand dollars of equity and went and bought a bunch more cash flow with it. So, like, there are so many ways to win if we'll just decide to move and set up the game correctly. And, and our biggest dilemma, I loved this slide we put up is like, we try to balance 
giving ki excited kids scissors and let them run around the house, right? Or the Michael Scott quote of like, we're thieves of joy, right? And we just tell them how, like, because we're being too conservative to protect everybody and we're trying to find the right spot for the pendulum between those two things. And we definitely realize, especially in 2022, we were maybe a, a little too far to the thief of joy side of helping everybody not lose and not showing a man, we should maybe hand it out a few more scissors and got people moving forward because it wasn't as bad or, or, or conservative as, as maybe we needed to be. And so it's Brad, we've been finding that. We've been going for about an hour. Should our next podcast be, well, oh my God, interest rates are 6%. How do I still buy good assets? I feel like I feel that's at least another 30 minute conversation. I think that should be the next podcast. Right. This was guys, this was a snippet from a, a two and a, almost three hour presentation I did where I had data and charts and graphs and numbers and all that kind of stuff. And we're leaving that out. We're just giving the cliff notes of, again, it's win or win big, refine our decision-making criteria, let luck do what it is. And don't use that to say, did I buy the right house or not? Because I got unlucky with a tenant that has nothing to do with it. I never, ever, 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 ever make a decision about a property based on the current or last tenant ever. That is completely and totally irrelevant. I only go to you, Jimmy, as my property management and say, what, what can we learn from this bad tenant so we don't make the same decision next time? But right. tenants do not define successful properties. Buying metrics define successful properties. And as you mentioned, I don't know of, I would say everybody in CFT made insane amounts of money on appreciation. Some of them had positive cash flow and some of them had negative cash flow, but everybody in our game won as long yes. as they were in the game. So that's where our audience and like some of our investors struggle. They, they get poopy pants because they didn't win as big as their brother-in-law. Yep. And, you know, most people's definition of wealth is just more money than my wife's sister's husband husband and so <laughs> i want that on a t-shirt i love that that's not for me what what book is that from i got that book from somebody at click funnels but um you know a lot of people like they like for example the client we were discussing earlier he was winning but he was mad that he wasn't maximizing all his wins everywhere and look look i understand that so this is here's what do you know how i know how to deal with everybody's craziness because you're crazy. Because I'm crazier than everyone. Like, so if, can I tell a Vreeland Capital story? Yeah. So we have, you know, under our umbrella, we have property management, construction, wholesaling, and flipping, right? Mm -hmm. And if all aren't cranking on all cylinders every month, there's a day where I will go whine to Susie and be like, eh, like, they're not all winning. Like, and they're like, no, she'll be like, no, stupid. They're all winning. They're just not winning big enough for your crazy ass. And so, so look, if you've How ever lucky been in, is Jimmy that he found Susie to be this to him. I don't know where you would be without Susie. Let's all give Susie a silent yes. round of applause because we're glad you have Susie. Because I'm pretty sure I'd be somewhere with a straight jacket on. <laughs> but but and, so, yeah, just you got to recognize, are you winning? Check. Are you not winning as much as you can be? That's fine. Improve your decision-making process. Yep. Chalk it up to, man, I wish I had a better tenant. Bad luck there. I'm still winning. I set up a win-or-win -win big game. Let's go back to our decision-making process and, and update it. And understand that most people's worst decision was not the property that sat 
with a non-paying tenant for six months during COVID. It was that they let that bad luck keep $100,000 on the sideline that didn't go up by 20%. And so really, it didn't go up by 20%. It lost at least what the government's telling us. It lost 8% of its buying power. 8% more than that. So we have a 30% swing. That was most people's worst decision, but they wouldn't have written that down on a piece of paper because they don't have this tight decision-making criteria of what ought I to be doing with my money. And in full disclosure, I told the audience how I adapt is I never stop moving forward, right? I just update my expectations of how I'm going to win in this current market, which was a big part of the conversation. And then I adapt what I can control to ensure I win or win big. So I make adjustments to me as the investor, but I single family real estate backed by Fannie Freddie loans still have, I have yet to see a market where that doesn't win or win big. And then let me give you an example of that. So my plan at the beginning of the year was to buy a ton of rentals this year to mitigate my tax liability, right? Not necessarily for cash flow. Like I'm actually looking to buy higher price houses just so I can mitigate more taxes, right? Right. And then I was going to get close to zero rate loans and dance happily off the off to the sunset, the right? Sunset. Didn't happen. So what did I do? Still you called Brad and you had poopy pants and you complained yeah. to me about it for about a week. Then you did what you're about to share. Yeah. And I called my other, I called my accountant and they're like, no, you're going to buy. Like you, you're just going to hold more reserves. And you're going to, yep. You're going to pay a little bit more in irrelevant. The other thing we pointed out, Jimmy, is interest rates went to eight. What was inflation? Our interest yeah. rates went to six. What was inflation? At least eight, what they're telling us. The money is still free then. Yes. So are you really complaining to me, Jimmy, that you, ha you had to use less free money? Like, Brad, unless you were I- using before? Brad, unless I get my morning power hour and 80% of things go well for me during my day, I'm and most likely going to have a complaint at the end of the day. A hundred percent. And I'm using you so that yes. I don't have to yell at our listeners, right? Yes. Who We had so many people be like, oh, it was 6%. I can't do anything. It was just slightly less free than it was before. Right. Your, re your return was slightly higher infinitely than it was right now. But you add anything to infinity and it's still infinity. <laughs> So let's, let's actually get into that next podcast episode. I, would I like getting back on the mic. So let's, let's tie a bow on this one last time. Don't do resulting. Improve your decision-making. Don't, don't, and to define that, don't define the quality of your, of your decisions by the quality of your outcomes. Don't do that. Okay. What else shouldn't people do? Always figure, set up a game that you're winner, you win big and always move forward in that game. And then okay. third is learn to adapt in the game that you created based on improving your decisions. Like that's the, that's the loop to come full circle. And recognize that you're winning and then don't have poopy pants because you're not winning as big as you want to. And then I could do a message to the whole CFT community every time I do this and you'll see three messages a month from me. Yep. <laughs> so, well, this is great to get back on the mic with you, buddy. Awesome. Join us for the next podcast on the numbers side of things whenever we decide to do that one. Um, and then again, oh, and if, if they you, do, if they do want to get after the inflation training, because I do think this is relevant, how, how would they do that? 
uh, here's what I would do is uh, the best way we can do this because we didn't really set this up with our team ahead of time, classic us, go to our free, free Facebook group. If you're already a member, go in and make a post and be like, I listen to Brad Ryan's or Brad and Jimmy's podcast and I need the inflation training and I need the cash will heaven tour recordings and we will Ooh. hook you up. So that we can make that available and we will do both of those together as a package deal. If you'll just go in the free group and, and make a post politely requesting that we get you those resources, we can do that. If you're not a part of the free Facebook, go to thefacebooks.com and search for Cashflow Tactics, pull it up, ask to join the group, and then your first post should be excited to be here. And then your second post should be, I want the inflation and Cashflow Heaven Tour resources so that I don't make really bad decisions in a hyperinflationary <laughs> environment and lose the game. And then we will get you those resources. Let's end it on that. See you later, dude. <laughs>Thank you so much for listening to the Rise Up Live Free podcast. Do you want to connect with me and other empire builders who are on a mission to take control of their financial plans and become financially free in 10 years or less? Well, then join us in our private Facebook group where we get to go deeper into the topics of financial freedom. And it's the only place you can see the actual results of people on their path to financial freedom, learn what's working and interact as a community dedicated to becoming financially free. When you join, you'll get immediate access to exclusive training in a private membership area. This training will empower you in your path to becoming financially free and it will fast track your results. This is the only place you get access to this exclusive content. So be sure to join us in the Facebook group now. Just go to cashflowtactics.com forward slash group or head over to Facebook and search Cashflow Tactics to join. I look forward to you joining us next time on the Rise Up Live Free podcast.